As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 899. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bucharest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Totally football show at the Euros. Fasten your seatbelt for the first of two shows previewing the continental competition. Groups B, A and D, as we talk Turkey and Belgium and England, have some Russian revelations, talk Scotland and the return of the Max and Bales Wales, and maybe Fair Wales. All that and more in this totally football show at the Euros in association with Paddy Power. That brings a tear. Hello there. That, of course, was 2016. David Guetta with the closing ceremony at the Stade de France. A day remembered not just as a victory for anthemic dance pop crossover genre, but also for Portugal. We'd been freshly crowned Euro champions five years on. The big question, who's going to be hoisting the trophy to generic lift music on steroids this time? To look at the contenders, Tom Williams. Hello, James. Hello, Tom. Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi. And also, Sasha Gurionov. Hello, James. Hello to you all. All right, so 24 teams, 11 venues, another Euros, but it's going to be, I think, a very different competition. What do you think it's going to be the Euros of, Michael? 
I mean, in a tactical sense, I don't think many sides have got a great striker. So I think that's going to be interesting how sides get around that. I think we're going to see more flexibility than usual in terms of a few sides shifting to three-man defence. Um, and also I think it's going to be a ton of rotation because of the five subs, uh, because of the 26-man squad, because of the fact that the big sides can afford to drop a couple of points in the group stage and it probably won't be an issue. In some cases, might actually mean they get a better draw for the next round. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a strange tournament. It might take a while to get going, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be the tournament, of course, of Skillsy Tom, the official mascot, animated character, uh, a larger than life, inspired by freestyling street and panaculture character. And of course, with the Euro having been delayed by a year, he's had a further twelve months to haunt our nightmares. Um, so, uh, an even longer shelf life than your average tournament mascot. Right. Because do you know what he looks like? Well, yeah, he's like a, a human, isn't he? But uh, he's like a, 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 f- a freestyler, I think. Mm. But in like cartoon yeah. form, but brought to life. Not not Indeed. one that I think will, will linger long in the annals of, of great major tournament mascots. He's we'll no World Cup Willie, that's for sure. Really? Would you put World Cup Willie as number one? A chow, I think, is for a lot of people. But I'm struggling to remember what the mascot was for 2016. Sasha, you'd know this. No. No, I can't have no idea. Was it Wales? I remember the, the mascot for Mexico 86, but that's about it. Right, okay, with Should the sombrero, sure. <laughs> Michael? I really ca- I hate mascots. I, I just right, okay. I never want to hear any mention of them again. It's a complete waste of everyone's time. <laughs> what a predictable response. I've, I've looked up the year of 2016 mascot, and it was a young French chap called Super Victor. Okay. And he was kind um, of a, a child with uh, sort of like Three heads. auburn-coloured hair and a okay. red cape, as far as I can nice. tell. Of course, on the subject of mascots at uh, major tournaments that took place in France, um, the mascot for the 1998 World Cup, Footix, ended up being used as a pejorative name uh, for French people who suddenly got into football after France won the World Cup. Um, so sometimes mascots can linger in the, That's true. in the sort of you know the wider public consciousness. Equally, Chow is still being referenced to this day uh, in Italy. Uh, Twenty-four teams, Michael, uh, will be competing. As you're aware, the group winners and runners-up from each set of four teams, plus the four best third-place sides, will advance to the round of sixteen. Semi-finals and final will be at Wembley. Crikey, which is nice because we're going to be we're going to be starting with the team who are going to be making that their home, and that's England and Group D. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Here's Gascoigne. Oh, brilliant! Oh yes! Oh yes! What a pertinent answer to all his critics. A golden moment from Euro. 96. Uh, the last time that England and Scotland were in a group together, and that happened. Of course, it was pretty much the last time Scotland were in any kind of uh, group at a tournament. They did make the World Cup a couple of years after this, but this Euros coming up now is their first international tournament in 23 years, and yes, they're back in a group with England, along with Croatia and Czech Republic, also known as Group D. All the games being played at Wembley and in Glasgow. England are the group favourites. Partly because they're going to be at home, uh, partly because Iceland aren't in this tournament. What, what do you think, Michael, about England's role as the bookies' number one? 
Um, I'm slightly sceptical about that status. I think it's a very good generation of players, the best generation we've had for 15, 20 years. But I think there's a lot of question marks all over the pitch, really. I mean, we don't really know what's happening in centre defence. doesn't seem to be that much of a midfield partnership. Um, and going forward, we've got lots of options, but we haven't really seen them in the friendlies because so many players were late back from Champions League duty. And I don't really see anyone's clicks. I thought Jack Grealish did well individually. Um, but apart from that, not really much to speak of. So, yeah, I'm I'm slightly more cautious than most people. Um, and more cautious than I would have been probably two or three weeks ago. Because I'm not sure that the friendlies haven't really answered any questions from what I can see. There's still quite a few big question marks throughout the team. But we will probably have the group stage to sort things out. And maybe things will fall into place midway through the tournament, as they often do for successful teams. But at the moment, I don't really see a, a cohesive or a settled starting eleven. Interesting. I have the feeling that a lot of England supporters are actually less enthusiastic about England than than people from other nations because they've been hurt so many times before. From a from a Russian perspective, what what do you think about England? How dangerous do they look to you, Sasha? I think, well, I think the Russians look at this and go, well, wish, wish we had your problems, um, like the multitude of, of right-backs or whatever else. But I think it's interesting that um, the friendlies have failed to answer most of the questions and that players who've stuck around will not necessarily be or be going to the tournament um so it's almost a strange dynamic whereby as you said it's almost like the group stages might be used as the friendlies which you know i think the teams have done before to figure out the squads and to be fair you know looking at the opposition even if the picture of how england are going to play isn't clear i think even croatia are going to have big problems against england um just due to the a youth of the England team, the the quality all over the place. One thing I, I am really surprised though that Southgate isn't doesn't really seem to be trying a three four three, which uh, which I think naturally kind of would make more sense due to sort of connections you can have in that team, such as you know Chilwell Mount, uh, for example. Um, so yeah, it's, and I think also a lot of the time has been taken up at least in the public eye. Uh, with, with the booing prior to the games, um, so a lot right. of that has dominated discussions as well, as opposed to the you know the tactical side of things. Tom, your take? Yeah, I think the the format of the tournament, the fact that it's the top two from each group plus the four best third place teams means that there isn't huge pressure on um, most of the favourites going into the group phase. Uh, if you look back to Euro 2016, which was the first time that this format was was used at a European Championship. Two teams got through to the last 16 with only three points. Two teams got through with only four points. So, if a team like England sort of stumbles over the um, you know the threshold in terms of fluffing their lines in their first game, there's still time for things to to turn round. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought in any of the groups we'll see a huge amount of drama because uh, you know that that quite low threshold in terms of you know, getting getting at least into one of those best third place team slots means that it, I, I think the the top teams would have to try quite hard um, not to make it out of the group. Maybe Southgate's already thinking about finishing second and thus avoiding the second place team from um, from F. Right, group of death, aka Group mm. F. Although, if you don't finish top of the group, England's home advantage will disappear. They won't be playing at Wembley. The first home game. Uh, will be against Croatia. Croatia at Wembley, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, Harry Kane, top scorer, of course, at the World Cup in Russia, presumably putting himself in the shop window uh, with this tournament. He's one of the older members of the England party, who uh, Raul actually 
did some spectacular work plotting the average age of teams or squads against playing time in the season that we've just had to see how everybody ranks. Not sure if you've seen this graphic, but essentially you want to be bottom left. England are very much top left, low age but high average minutes. England squad, their youngest at a major tournament since 1958, but they've played more minutes uh, this season, this past season, than any other country. What do you make of that? I, I think it probably reflects the fact that the, the Premier League was one of the few leagues that um, rejected the opportunity to have five substitutions uh, per match last season. So you would expect their players to have to have run further, uh, you know, and, and to have played more minutes. And that has been an issue for, for England historically, that when England teams have have crashed and burned at major tournaments, uh, this issue of, of player burnout and the lack of a winter break comes up. I mean, in a, in a normal pre-Euro season, England would have had, well, England's players would have had some kind of winter break, but of course, because of COVID and the late starts of the season, that new feature was, um, uh, you know, was uh, was unable to happen. So that, that could be a, a small concern for England, but at the same time, the fact that you have at least five substitutes per game uh, in this tournament, plus the enlarged 26-man squads, mean that I, I wouldn't have thought that fatigue will be as big an issue as, as, it, as it would otherwise be if, if it wasn't for those factors. Absolutely. All right, well, if you're curious, uh, the best-placed sides, the three best-placed nations on Roll's graph, with low age but also low minutes played, are Wales, Turkey and Ukraine. Three teams that a lot of people, well, two of them, a lot of people are talking up as uh, dark horses, Sasha. We'll get to Turkey uh, later on. I think Turkey are actually quite an, quite an interesting proposition. Maybe even if not for this one, but maybe for the next one. But we'll see whether this theory works. We'll, we'll get to Wales as well, Tom. No one's forgetting them. Glad to hear it. All right. Well, so it's virtually a home tournament then for England, if they play their cards right. They've got Scotland in the group. They've got a Gareth Southgate on board. It is essentially pretty much a rerun of 1996 when England had that run to the semi-finals, which ended on penalties to Germany. Paul Lynn's played in that tournament. And he joins us now for a quick look back and forward. The parallels with 96 and one of your England teams are interesting. The fact that there's a really talented squad. The first time you were in a big tournament, what was the, what was the thing that kind of shocked you most? What was the most difficult thing to adjust to for you? It was just um, coming together as one. You know, mm. and the reason why I say that it was, it's always hard, and I've always found it hard. You know, when you um, meet up with England, when I used to meet up with England in '92, when I first became part of the setup, there was like all different tables, and all the tables were a Mate United table, a Chelsea table, an Arsenal table, where all those players from that team sat. So there was no kind of camaraderie, there was no kind of togetherness. But LTEL, tell you if anyone's changed that in Euro '96, we all kind of had to separate and sit with players that we don't we don't normally sit with. You know what I mean? We didn't come mm. from our respective teams. So we, we had a kind of different buzz about us, you know what I mean? Everything about, we had a kind of team feeling that we were all, all together. It wasn't just about groups of players just trying to come together. So, um, and then obviously you get the expectation, the expectation of, you know, nation. I think because it's still quite, you know, people talk about you and I six but like history or being very iconic, you know what I mean? Um, and that's amazing because basically it was just, you know, it was 96, you know, but all the, the sun was shining, the songs and it's coming home. You know, there's a lot going on at the time, Jim. It was the 90s. It was just better, no? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. It, and it just brought everyone together. You know, it, it brought so much positivity to to the country. You know, not just football fans, but just the whole country. Put a smile on everybody's faces. I think that's why everybody remembers it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this group here, talent-wise, there's not too much question about them, but it's it's more the personality that's yet to be proven. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. As I said, I, I still think they're a relatively, uh, you know, I don't want to say young team. I, I probably use that word too, too lightly. Whatever happens in this tournament, they will grow from it. You know, mm. they will learn from it and hopefully get better from it. I think from an England point of view, when you think about 2018, losing in the semi of the World Cup, you know, you like to think there's some form of progression for years later. So, I mean, the expectation from Gareth Southgate and his players might be completely different to mine. Right. You know, I expect us to get into the semi-finals at least. Mm. Well, you went out on the semi-finals in 96 on, on penalties and then... Oh, thanks, James. Thanks, James. In, in 98, did you, did you do better? I'm just looking back at the... No. <laughs> yeah, why is that now? Uh, you're no. such a... So you're just, such a... I mean, it's... It's it's That's difficult, what? isn't it? I mean, it's difficult. That's I mean, difficult. I don't want to bring up the penalties, and it should have been your penalty, but we we don't need to, <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go back over over that. No, Southie taking that kick instead of you. That was that, that, it. Wasn't even like that. I don't know where you're getting that from. I don't know where you're getting your information from. Honestly, you know I mean, you need to stop right. drinking Jimbo. If, if this if this team was mm-hmm. to go out in the semi-finals on penalties, should they be happy with that? Would that be a good result for this England? I just feel. With the likes of, as I say, Sancho and Foden and Grealish and Mount, people not played Declan Rice, mm. people not played in these tournaments, you know, they'd be better for it, whatever happens. But if we get the further we go, obviously the more expectation rises and the more we expect them to win. But it's tough, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of things that can happen, Jim, you know, discipline, injuries, referees' decisions. There's a lot of things that can happen in, 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 in a tournament, you know, who you play in the last 16. In France, 98, we had to play Argentina. In the last 16. That's a tough, tough game to play. So I've, England got a chance of playing the Germans if they get out the group of death. Um, so it's a lot of things that need to happen for us to, to be successful. But if it all comes together, there's no reason why we can't win it, Jim. For these players, for the next month or so, what's going to be the, the best bit and the worst bit of being locked down with the England team in their own country, making their way through this tournament? And that's why Camerati is so important. And fans don't really see it because you can get bored. You know, every day seeing the same face, you know, every day doing the same thing. Obviously, I presume every table, tennis table, pool tables, you know, all that type of stuff. But you can get bored, especially the longer you go. The further you go, mm. the probably more bored. It's get, you, I mean, also the best thing is, is the games. You know, the best thing is the journey, going up to Wembley. You know, seeing the fans hanging out the windows and the cars, the flags and beeping their horns. And, and then the further you get, the more people you see doing that. And, you know, the the realisation that you're getting closer because that's how we felt. You know, every game we won, you could see more people on the street, you can see more cars on the road and you can see the anticipation that we're going to go on and win it. And, you know, that's a great experience. That's a great thing, the games. But then you get back and then you're stuck in your room. You can only do so much, watch so much TV or play so much games, you know what I mean? So it's occupying yourself. And funny now, James, because obviously in our yeah. time it was different because we could do like mm. horse nights, race nights. We could have... You know what I mean? You can't do a lot of these things nowadays, you know? Life's right. changed for these players, you know? Um, so I'm not sure. I'm sure Southie, from his experiences as a player, will have ideas to keep him occupied. Right. Well, you pretty but, much just described my month, except without the bit going to Wembley to play games. Locked in a room, only so much TV you can watch. It's just depressing. Anyway. You look like Paul, you're depressed, Jimbo. You look I like am you're depressed. quite depressed now. Um, Paul, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jimbo. It's always lovely to see you, mate. Not seeing you, you for too. a while. Not to see you again, mate. Lovely stuff from Paul, who's keen to mention 
uh, that he was promoting Paddy Power's Paddy Parks, which are fan parks, which are going to be taking place at various locales uh, during the Euro tournament. A lot of fun they sound. All right, by the way, if anybody is keen for more Euro 96 reminiscences, then The Athletic has a really nice piece at the moment talking about the Scotland goal, the dentist chair, etc., and that with uh, Shearer and Gaza and, and the rest. Uh, you can find that at theathletic.com, of course. All right, who's the competition in Group D? You've got Scotland, the Czech Republic, and Croatia, who England lost to 2-1 in that World Cup semi. What feels like a, a lifetime ago in 2018? There are not a lot of players left in this Croatia side from that team, though, Michael. No, it's changed a fair bit. Mandzukic is gone, Rakitic is gone. It's still a fairly familiar Croatia side, I think, when you look at the strengths and weaknesses. They've always produced a lot of very good central midfield players. Um, Brozovic and Modric is a great combination. They've got Vlasic, who's done very well as a number 10 at international level. Obviously, we didn't see the best of them in the Premier League. They seem to me like they're on the way down. It seems like the last kind of knockings of, I guess, the Modric group. Um, I think at the World Cup as well, they relied a lot on Visaiko at right back who was excellent throughout the knockout stage. He hasn't had a very good season, uh, mainly because of injury. Um, Atletico Madrid, I can't really make a good case for them doing anything spectacular in this tournament, to be honest. Um, I think they'll get out of the group, but uh, yeah, I I think they're a worse side than they were three years ago. They had a terrible time of it in the recent Nations League campaign with five defeats out of six. Sasha? Yeah, I think um, also they have questions as to, like, they haven't really replaced Mandzukic up top. And, um, you know, talking of, say, the warm-up games, for example, they got absolutely smashed by Belgium uh, on Sunday. I mean, it was only 1-0, but they were thoroughly dominated. And I think the worrying thing for them is physically, they, they just didn't look up to. They did look like a bit of an old man's team, um, which I think doesn't bode well for the tournament. And, yeah, I think they should get out of the group due to the format, but I can't really see them getting stronger as the tournament progresses. Who do you think won't get out of the group, Sasha or Tom or Michael? I mean, England are the are the obvious favourites, aren't they? So they should get out of the group without too many problems. I think Croatia as well should be okay. So yeah, probably looking between um, Scotland and, and Czech Republic, I'd have thought. Um, I mean, Scotland have got great momentum behind them. Um, and I think if you look at the players that, that Steve Clark has at his disposal... Uh, it's no surprise that, that that they've you know ended this uh, this quite long wait for a, a major tournament because it is the most talented group of players they've had uh, in a little while, um, and you know that they, they, they've managed to plug holes uh, in their team quite creatively. Che Adams has come in, uh, made his debut uh, in March, scored the winner uh, against Luxembourg in a friendly at the weekend, so they they look a reasonably. Um, complete team in many ways um, and I think the the nature of qualification as well you know having to go through the playoffs beating Israel and Serbia on penalties uh, that will have given them a, you know a, a real sense of um, of unity uh, you know which could carry them far um, yeah Czech Republic sort of hard to know what to expect from them I mean beat England in qualifying albeit that was mm. a little while ago um, so hard to know how much uh, we can hold uh, against that. But, you know, some dangerous players, uh, you know, Sue Fell and Thomas Suchek, who we know very well from from the excellent season uh, that, that they had at West Ham. Uh, Patrick Schick, very dangerous uh, striker as well. Um, so I think it's I think it's a fairly even group, this, if you take England out of the equation as the clear favourites. Um, but, yeah, I would have thought it would be one of Scotland and, and Czech Republic if they're going to claim that, that um, best third-place team spot. 
Who's not getting out of the group, Michael? Um, not sure. I feel like both Scotland and Czech Republic might be stronger than the sum of their parts. I, I actually don't know. I think this is one of the most difficult groups to predict because I think the two favourites are weaker than people think and the two outsiders are slightly stronger than people predict. I, if I had to guess, I'd go Czech Republic, but I, I, I really don't know. I don't have a strong feeling for this. Um, I think there is also a potential sort of additional factor in this. Uh, I remember Kudla got suspended for the tournament and it mm. was against uh, against Rangers. First game of the tournament, Czech Republic going to Scotland. I'm just wondering whether there's going to be any residual feeling felt of, left over from that because I think a lot of discussions about Czech Republic over the years, they're quite, quite a nice side. You know, there's nice players, especially good memories of Euro 96. And I wonder how much of, especially in Scotland, uh, there's going to be uh, how much of a bad taste the whole Kudela incident has left. So perhaps... Um, the, the Czechs are about to enter a much more hostile atmosphere than they would have done otherwise. And also, I think that is, you know, when, pe- when people talk about the Czech side, there's a lot of, you know, Slavia connection, how they played in Europe this season. Well, when it came to the crunch, um, Slavia were pretty weak against, I think it was Arsenal the, when, when they went out. It was pretty meek exit. So um, I, for me, because of those various factors, I think Czech Republic probably to finish bottom. It is Scotland's first tournament since 98. They haven't got past a major tournament group stage in their last 11 attempts. So that would be quite something were they to make it to the last 16. All right, well, that's Group D. Uh, Next up, let's have a look at the group that will kick everything off this Friday. Euros are here, and you'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. Yeah? If the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your book is not giving you the best rewards, switch and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on all England's group games. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only men. Two plus legs online exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Laura Cano over Ramsey, the great head yet campus. Ramsey, Melner, Kurt Cosby. Come on, Cano, see the Cano over Neil Taylor and Reed. But actually, well done. Cano! Sit on the beat! Does get howled him howl! Hallelujah, Robson Cano! Wow. Hallelujah, Robson Cano, indeed. Yeah, magnificent. What, what a golden memory for Wales that was. 2016, of course, knocking Belgium out of the quarterfinals. And this time, Wales are back. Looking to see what they can come up with in this Group A with Italy, the Swiss and Turkey. All the Group A games are being played in Rome and Baku, excitingly. Tom, what are your chances? I think that this is uh, possibly the most evenly balanced group 
uh, in the whole tournament. Uh, I mean, you have a, a favourite in Italy who are obviously going into this uh, tournament in exceptional form. But then I think Wales, Switzerland, Turkey are all quite close to each other in terms of level. Um, what gives me confidence from a Welsh perspective is that Wales have become very good in the last couple of years at beating sides of comparable strength to them. Um, so obviously in, in qualifying for this tournament in the first place, but then even more so uh, last year in the Nations League, uh, finishing top of their group and getting promotion to, to League A, um, they've become a, a really solid team defensively. Um, and, you know, we know all about the threat that they, they pose at the other end with players like Gareth Bale and Dan James and Aaron Ramsey, who's, who's fit for this tournament, thankfully. Um, I mean, since the beginning of September, uh, six of Wales's seven wins have been uh, 1-0 victories. Uh, and that's been very much the sort of the modus operandi. It's been keeping it clean at the back and, and nicking a goal uh, either on the counter-attack or from a set piece. And I think the fact that Wales have... Um, you know, have have managed to uh, you know find a way of beating teams on a similar level. I mean, you look at their Nations League group; it was them, Finland, Ireland, Bulgaria. I think that should stand them in good stead. Uh, you know, that the Italy game probably a write-off, but that's that's Wales's last fixture. If they can get you know, say, a win and a draw um, from the opening two games against Switzerland and, and Turkey, that should be enough to take them into the last sixteen. So many emotional threads to Wales's campaign. Tom, but perhaps none more than Gareth Bale's farewell to football. These could be the last minutes we ever see him performing on a football pitch for. I mean, let's hope not. He was unhelpfully vague when he was asked about his future shortly after the end of the season and and said something that was vague enough that people read into it that he was about to do uh, a madness, as I believe that the youth um, like to say. Uh, and some have speculated that that could mean uh, an immediate retirement for football. I think that would be a surprise. He's obviously got something up his sleeve that he doesn't want to talk about yet, but I I would be surprised if this was his farewell to football. OK. It's an interesting squad. What, what do you make of Wales, Michael? Are you any more enthusiastic about their prospects? Yeah, I think they're a decent side, actually. Probably slightly stronger than the sum of their parts. I'm interested to see what they do going forward because they play different approaches throughout the last couple of years. Sometimes they used no fixed forward in the likes of Daniel James and Harry Wilson and uh, obviously Gareth Bale up there. And sometimes they've got more who they can bring on as a, a more classic striker. I think when you look at the opponents they're up against in this group, they might be better off playing with mobile players. I mean, if I'm playing against Chiellini and Benucci, I'm not playing a six foot five striker from the championship. I'm playing someone quick. I think you can probably say the same uh, against Turkey, who use uh, Soyuncu and Dimarel at the back. So I'm interested to, say, uh, interested to see how they play things. But um, yeah, they're not as good as five years ago. But I, I, again, I do fancy them to get out of the group. Yeah, that is the, that is the big debate um, in terms of team selection. And I think most Wales fans would prefer to see Kiefer Moore start up front. Um, if you look at the most recent friendly pretty awful nil-nil draw against Albania at the weekend and they they started the first half playing with Aaron Ramsey as a false nine and I think he's been earmarked for that role for a little while and he didn't have a particularly good time of it uh, and Kiefer Moore came on at half time and all of a sudden there was a focal point to the, to the Welsh attack I mean he was the the key figure in qualifying 
uh, when Ryan Giggs was 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 still at the helm, and he sort of turned to more about halfway through the qualifying campaign, and all of a sudden there was sort of a shape to the way that that Wales attacked, um, and yeah, they ended up you know securing qualification, and since then more hasn't started very often. It has been the sort of false nine system that Michael was talking about with Harry Wilson in, in, invariably through the middle. Um, so yeah, that that feels like the big the big question mark over over how Wales are going to go into this. Sasha, tell us about Turkey. A lot of people are very excited about how they're going to get on. They've got a, a very young squad, the youngest at the tournament. They've also got the extremely experienced Yilmaz, who's been in a terrific form of late, winning the league and title with Lille. Scored three goals in Turkey's sit-up-and-take-notice 4-2 victory over the Netherlands in World Cup qualifying. They've also beaten France in the qualifying for this tournament. And they brought back Senor Gunes, who was the man who managed them to a third-place finish at the 2002 World Cup. You're predicting big things for them, Sash. I'm predicting big things for them probably at the next tournament. However, this oh. is going to make it no less watching them now. Um, however, I think Senor Gunes uh, coming back to manage the national team, it seems it's just him and Terim who managed all these sides throughout the years, which is actually a bad sign because I think it, it just shows that like they have serious problems with coaching in Turkey. I mean, they had like 30-odd sackings this season in the Super League. Um, so p- just coaches don't have time to learn. However, Gunes himself is actually proved to be quite a capable um, sort of learner. And he's obviously, he's very experienced and he's known as quite an attacking manager. But this Turkey team, I think, is perhaps more... Uh, plays better without the ball and is great on the counter. And I think what we saw, um, especially recently, when their, def- their defence somehow has just utterly disintegrated without Demirel in the uh, qualifiers in spring that if they lose the ball when they're attacking, they're really bad at getting back and getting bad at getting back the shape. So therefore, I'm thinking that's why if Wales go defensive, it could be quite interesting. But if Italy attack them, this could actually be an ideal setup for Turkey because this is where they can be really, really lethal. If they can cut out those uh, mistakes in central defence, which of which they made numerous. But if Demirel is back and Soyuncu now, as we know, Soyuncu can be a little bit rash, but maybe with Demirel next to him, they can actually, if they sort out that central defensive partnership, um, not to make any errors, they can actually be really, really mega dangerous. So I think the first game actually could have a potential for an upset. I think there'll be 6,000 Turkish fans uh, making a lot of racket in the Stadio Olimpico and Turkey could well get a point or maybe um, maybe all three in that, which will set them up beautifully for the second game in Baku. And uh, we were just discussing off air earlier, you know, national anthems. And I think the Turkish national anthem in Baku, 30,000 fans, half of them Turks, the other half support. It took so it was a very close ties between Azerbaijan and Turkey against Wales could be something quite powerful, uh, and maybe they will actually break through this problem they have of um, you know attacking you know deep defensive sides um, which they have had so far. So I, th- I think there will be the dynamic will be interesting to watch. Obviously, they have very little cover uh, for Yilmaz up top. But they do have, uh, I think, quite a couple of interesting players who helped um, Galatasaray to the title, a uh, very close title in the Super League in the season that just gone. Kerem Akturkoglu, uh, and the other guy we know is Halil Dervishoglu, uh, who is on loan at Galatasaray from, from Brentford. And Galatasaray are really keen on getting them, except they don't have the 10 million euros. So potential player we can see in the Premier League next season who could potentially um, offer them uh, a little bit of cover for Yulmaz because obviously they are probably on par with Russia in terms of being really dependent on the one aging centre-forward. Crikey. Well, there was a lot to take in there. Tom, are you concerned now about Wales' trip to Baku and the fearsome home support? Yeah, I must admit, I wasn't aware of the uh, close ties between Turkey and Azerbaijan. So uh, the thought of having a stadium half full of 
diehard Turkey fans is slightly concerning. I mean, that was always going to be a uh, tricky fixture. Uh, and I think that's just further reason for Wales to win their opener against Switzerland. It would allow them to go into uh, into that game in slightly more relaxed frame of mind. But sort of taking my, my Wales hat off for a second, I'm really looking forward to seeing Turkey. Uh, I think they could be one of the most interesting teams at this tournament. You mentioned Burak Yilmaz, who had an absolutely sensational season for Lille. Um, but a couple of other players in that Lille team who are in this Turkey squad, uh, potentially in the starting 11, Zeki Shelek, the right-back, Yusuf Yusici, sort of number 10, attacking midfielder, scored a hat-trick against Milan in, in Europa League. Uh, there's quality throughout this team. They look very solid defensively in, in qualifying. And I think if they if they manage to get out of the group, I think they could do some damage. Also, on, on, honourable mention for Urujan Shakir. Um, he's the goalkeeper for Trabzonspor, who's been getting really rave reviews. Apparently, you know, a few European clubs are watching him already. He only has a few caps, but he really like stepped up this spring and has been very, very impressive for them. A lot of people like Sasha are very excited about Turkey, but I think when you look at sides who do well at tournaments, they tend to have good defensive records. In the last year, Turkey have conceded three against Germany, two against Serbia, three against Croatia, two against Russia, two against Hungary, two against Holland, three against Latvia. They're conceding a lot of goals for a side that people are really talking up. That's my only view on Turkey. So, so the, the, this this is why I think they're they're also struggling to explain how the defense has been so poor. And basically, you know, um, I think in spring they had Kabak and so Yunchu playing together. It didn't it wasn't very pretty at all. Uh, so again, they maybe de- they're quite dependent on Demirel there. Um, but when you look at that team, they should be good defensively. Um, maybe it's the COVID. Maybe it's like they maybe they have trouble concentrating or something. Maybe there are, there is also a thing about them playing quite almost a very Turkish way of playing football, quite risky, risk-taking, which they keep on getting punished for and keep on making mistakes. So maybe if they play a little bit safer, they could actually um, improve um, their defence significantly. Also in the group, Switzerland, who have a familiar lineup in many ways. Your Jordan Shakiris, your Granit Shakers, Seferovic as well, Benfica has had a great season for the Portuguese side. And of course, Switzerland, who were finalists in the inaugural Nations League couple of years ago and the other big team in this group and the favourites I think are Italy how far can they go well pretty far if their squad announcement is anything to go by joining us now on the line to discuss the Azuri is of course James Horncastle James hello Hello, James. Mm, the Azuri, James. They slunk red-faced out of qualifiers for the last World Cup. They're taking a bold approach this time. They are indeed. A refreshed Azuri, uh, I would say. I mean, it's very different. Uh, Mancini with 35 debutants in the, in the last three years. Uh, a lot of new young uh, talents coming through. But also, I think, just very sensibly did what his predecessor, Giampiero Ventura, didn't do, which was build the team around uh, some of the best players um, that Italy have, which is Jorginho at the moment, obviously Champions League winner, Champions League finalist, Marco Verratti, Champions League finalist last year, uh, and Lorenzo Insigne, all of whom have uh, sort of are now either 30 or approaching their 30s, uh, used to playing at the very highest level of the European game and uh, kind of, I suppose, symbols of of the style uh, with which Italy have been playing uh, under Mancini as well. Let's talk about style because we just heard a clip of that remarkable squad announcement 
conducted by Amadeus on uh, Rai, Italian <laughs> State TV, with a wonderful musical accompaniment from Calapesci di Martino and uh, Musica Leggerissima. Uh, wonderful. Uh, how's that going to work? Do players get voted out by the public after each game? What's the format there exactly? <laughs> Unfortunately not, James. Um, yeah, I think their, their, their only way of, of, of falling out of the squad is, is if, they, if they lose their form or they get injured. Uh, it's certainly one of the concerns that uh, I think Mancini has going into the opening games, the, the, the fitness of Marco Verratti, who picked up a knee injury before the uh, end of the season in Paris. Um, but I don't know, maybe they'll have a, another kind of paddle game as they, they did on, on stage that night, James, with frying pans um, with uh, De Rossi and Mancini, um, again, showing the, the Italian passion for the phenomenon mm. that is paddle. Right. There are so many aspects to take from it. If you haven't seen it, listener, by the way, check it out. Because first, I mean, sartorially, it's very, very different. But also the whole notion of parading these picks out one by one and then forcing them to try and clap along too, as I say, this uh, uh, terrific summer song, which they failed to do. I mean, if you're talking about squad cohesion, I've never seen worse team clapping than that. I think it's Insigne who kind of resolutely presses on but then looks around him as if to say, where are you guys? And just gives up. Anyway... Um, on the field, they've been doing brilliantly. Mm. Uh, the transformation under former Leicester City man Roberto Mancini is remarkable. <laughs> They're on a 27-match, three-year unbeaten run. They've won their last eight games without conceding a goal. Only Belgium score more goals in Europe qualifying than the Azuri. But I guess the corollary is, when was the last time they actually played anyone decent? Well, they played Holland uh, in the Nations League. Uh, they will be going to the final four of that competition in, in October. Uh, you know, if all things go well for the Azuri, they, they might get to Wembley twice um, in uh, in the summer and the fall. Um, so, yeah, that performance in Amsterdam uh, in the Nations League was was you know one of the best performances that they put in uh, under Roberto Mancini. Um, particularly given uh, that uh, Manuel Locatelli, who will have to come in, I think, for Verratti in the in the first couple of group stage games, was so good in that game. Um, and uh, Nicolo Barella as well um, got the only goal. So I think that was one aspect. There's also a sense that Poland aren't a bad team. Uh, they're maybe not one of the best, um, but they certainly have got really talented players, some of whom in play in Italy, like uh, Zielinski, but of course there's Lewandowski as well. So um, they have played uh, a couple of good sides. I think, you know, going back to last year when it looked like the Euros was going to actually happen in 2020, um, they had uh, set up a couple of friendlies against England and against Germany to really kind of test themselves. That didn't happen um, in the end, but certainly there's... There's a lot of optimism, uh, and speaking to a couple of people in the Italy camp uh, only last week, you know, they were thinking that uh, the semi-finals is 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 not an unrealistic uh, ambition to have. If it all goes wrong for them, wh- where do you think it might happen? Is it immobile up front, or, or or possible injuries to the aging backline? <sighs> So I think Immobile and Belotti um, do these guys hit the ground running. Um, yeah, they they have scored goals uh, for Italy uh, over the last year. Certainly, when when called upon, which which wasn't always the case in the first eighteen months under under Mancini, there was a feeling that you know Immobile only scored lots of goals in Serie A. Um, you know, people had yet to really see uh, him in the Champions League. He did very well in the group stages. 
um, last season for, for Lazio. Bellotti's had a kind of up and down year. Yes, he's got into double figures again, but uh, he was playing for a Torino side that kind of moved away from from him being the focal point um, as they tried to survive in Serie A. So I suppose, you know, that a lot of people are looking at Giacomo Raspadori, the wild card, um, you know, who only made his debut in the final warm-up game against the Czechs, finished the season very strongly for uh, for Sassuolo. He's only 21, uh, scored against Milan, scored against Juventus. Um, he's something very different uh, to what Belotti and, and Di Mobile offer. And I think elsewhere, you know, there's some question marks about Donnarumma's situation at the moment. A very assured goalkeeper, more than 200 appearances at club level, and he's only, what, 22, but he's currently unemployed, essentially, <laughs> in that Milan have let him go. His future is uncertain. Uh, there's a lot of uh, rumours about Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Juventus uh, at the moment. Will that kind of phase him? Um, so we've got to see. I think at the back, they're fine. I mean, Chiellini would have missed this tournament uh, this time last year, given that he had a uh, he was recovering from a, a bad knee injury. Uh, he's captaining the team, but if things go wrong for him, they've got Alessandro Bastoni, who's been fantastic for for Inter in their title-winning team. You know, I think, can they keep Spinazzola fit on the left-hand side? And also, you know, I, I think the fullbacks in some respects are one of the things that people look at and say, hang on, uh, could Italy be better there? I think Spinazzola, when he's fit, is very good. But uh, we'll have to see because uh, they've occasionally had issues with their fitness. But other than that, the squad's got... Maybe not, you know, the same star quality as the eighties and nineties, but it looks it's it's a very tidy team. And you can't argue with their track record. Who's not gonna make it out of the group then, James and everybody? I'm gonna say Wales. Oh, <laughs> James, get it get out. Get out. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Tom, who who've you got not making it through? Uh I'm gonna say Switzerland, who to me feel a little bit like the Mexico of UEFA in that they almost always qualify, or at least they have done in the last few years, and they very often mm. make it into the last sixteen. They haven't won a knockout match at a major tournament since the nineteen thirty eight World Cup. Um obviously that's not to say that they aren't gonna get out of the group this time, but I think if if, if Wales are gonna finish above anyone, it's it's probably Switzerland. That's a phenomenal stat. Michael? Yeah, I, I think I agree with Tom. I, I'm, I think Wales have the benefit of playing Italy last. I think Italy will win their first two games and then do their usual thing like they did against Ireland five years ago of just giving up in the final group game and celebrating with the team that have just beaten them when they go through. So, uh, yeah, I think Wales have done well with that. Right. And Sash? Yeah, I think Switzerland are going out as well. Um, the thing is, I think maybe this could be the group where the third place doesn't make it out. Because basically, if, um, if, if, t- if there's going to be a bunch of draws, they might not get enough points. The third place team might have two points or something like that. So they might not get out. Mm. Okay. Four of six of the third place teams will make it through, but maybe not from this group. Brilliant. All right, James, well, listen, thanks very much for joining us. We'll speak to you soon. Next up for us, on to our final group today, Group B. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament. 
to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Clichés show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never-ending domestic season finally draws to a close, we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Euro memories, and you can't say more memory than Denmark 92. Hey, Sash. 29 years later, they bothered qualifying this time. They've got Schmeichel's son, but not Jon Jensen's son, which is disappointing. They're in Group B, along with Belgium oof, and Finland and your lot, Russia. Wow. All the games being played in Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. Sash, you're going to tell us about Russia very, very shortly. What are you most looking forward to seeing from this group, Michael? Well, I think the interesting thing in this group is the concept of home advantage, which we are not massively accustomed to in, in major tournaments to this extent. I mean, Denmark have three games at home. Russia have two games at home and then they're away at Denmark in the final game. Um, Belgium, obviously, effectively away in two games and then one on neutral venue. Finland uh, away for a couple, one of which is in St. Petersburg, which is not too far from Helsinki. So there's all sorts of things going on there. Um, And I I think maybe that hasn't been considered enough. 
Um, we're not used to that at these tournaments. So it probably has a bit of a balancing effect in this group because Belgium are the strongest team by far, but the second and third best sides have a, have a home advantage. So I think this is maybe the most interesting group, actually, of the, uh, of the six in the tournament. I'm quite looking forward to it. Excellent. And there's another factor as well. Uh, you can come into Russia if you have a negative PCR test and fan ID and a match ticket. But Russian fans have been barred from attending that decisive game in Copenhagen because basically Russian uh, vaccines aren't on the approved EU list. And so I think people are looking uh, at um, a kind of uh, through the back door ways of somehow getting to the EU and making it over to Copenhagen. But officially no Russians allowed. Denmark then, 29 years on, playing their group games at home and a team packed with familiar faces. I think if you look at them, great spines. So you got Schmeichel, you got Kier, who's had a good season. Christensen's really, really come on uh, in the second half of Chelsea's season. And obviously, great uh, appearance uh, as a sub in the Champions League final as well. And Hobier and Delaney in front of them. So I think, basically, that's a textbook team that probably isn't going to concede very much. I think the questions, as with a lot of teams, are what do they do up top? Um, which, again, Paulson, Braithwaite, Dolberg, you know, and the scariest... Uh, but when you have Ericsson there in midfield as well, contributing perhaps with a bit of creativity, I mean, I can see, I mean, Denmark for me are comfortably better than Finland and they're certainly a, a better side than Russia. So I think the qualification from this group is theirs to lose. They look extremely solid, um, uh, as Sash was saying, you know, very strong spine. The, the question mark is about who's going to score the goals for them, but they've been in fantastic goal scoring form. Uh, their first three World Cup qualifiers in March, they scored 14 unanswered goals. Uh, there is Israel, eight. Moldova, and Austria. Um, so, okay, that the, they will be going up a level, um, but it's not that they're completely without any sort of firepower. Uh, and I, th- I think Denmark could be one of the um, one of the dark horses just to bring things full circle all the way back to Euro '92. Nice, Finland, the Eagle Owls. They've got a goal scorer, Tamo Puki, who grabbed ten goals in qualifying. This is the first time that the men have ever made made it to a major tournament after 110 years of Finnish football. Finnish women, of course, are Euro regulars. Uh, The men, let's see, managed six clean sheets in qualifying under their manager, former school teacher, Marku Kanerva. And uh, Chino Sash, you probably know the Finnish team. Can you tell us anything about the Finns? Well, I I think it's... um, I think their qualifying was almost surprisingly um, easy uh, because Greece and Bosnia had a shocker uh, they qualified with a game to spare by beating Liechtenstein 3-0. And I think it's probably uh, they need to lift the spirits of the nation because uh, Finland uh, just lost the World Cup, uh, a World um, Championships final in ice hockey against Canada at, you know, in, in overtime. So I think, I think it's down to the Finns here. But also, obviously, props to Michael for um, annoying the uh, famously reserved uh, Finnish sports fans by only dedicating three paragraphs to them in his preview. I saw there were some angry comments uh, from Suomi on that. They, they thought they deserved more. Is that right, Michael? That is true. Yeah, of the 24 nations, the, the Finns were the uh, most peeved with my lack of coverage given to them. But uh, I don't think it's... They're really bad. I mean, they're one of the three or four worst teams in the tournament. I think that's obvious. But it's more just like, I don't find them particularly interesting on, on paper. But uh, obviously great for them to get to the tournament. But uh, yeah, if I'm proved wrong, then uh, I will ha- hold my hands up. But uh, didn't didn't find that much interesting about them. If, if Charlie could just clip that just in case, uh, and then perhaps at some future date we can we can <laughs> splice it together with the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music and uh, and revisit it at a later pod. How many paragraphs did you give to Belgium, Michael? 
Probably several. Uh, I would guess seven, but I'd need to check. Okay. Well, let's speak to a man who talks about Belgian an awful lot, and that's Christophe Tureur of HLN. Joins us now. Christophe, thank you so much for joining us again. We're just discussing a Group B, of course, featuring uh, Belgium and your phenomenal squad. Number one ranked you team sound in the like, world. You, you sound like Roberto Martinez. Uh, phenomenal. Unique. We're going to win it. Not sure. Right. Why are you not sure, Christophe? That we're going to win it because if everything goes well, we always have to beat France in the semi-finals. And I'm always a bit wary of that one. Uh, if they get into the semi-finals, they are Belgium's bogey team. So uh, we fear France. As we've always done. So, well, this is not your first time coming in as red hot favourites. In 2016 at the Euros, you lose to Wales in the quarterfinals. The following tournament, 2018, the World Cup, you lose to France, as you mentioned, in the semi finals, but getting closer. And this, everyone's saying, is the last chance for this oh so special generation of, of Belgian players. Yes, definitely. If you look at the, at the defence, quite ageing. Uh, I think the average age must be 33 or 34 if you look at Vertonghen, Vermaelen and uh, Toby Alderweireld. But at the other hand, all our top players are at the peak age. Lukaku, 28 on the back of, a, of his best season ever at Inter. Kevin De Bruyne having had two excellent seasons at Manchester City. Uh, we're not going to talk about Eden Hazard, who's uh, barely touched the ball for the last two years at Real Madrid, but he might be fresh and, uh, and, and be that surprising player. Maybe he'll live up again, but not sure about that one. But Courtois having uh, had two, two great seasons, so there are a lot of positives. But as we're, we Belgians, we always like to push ourselves in the... In the underdog role, we're pushing ourselves there again. It's it's like some of the players are doing it already. Like uh, France are the favourites, all the pressure on them. And it seems like we're doing that again. How much of an issue is Kevin De Bruyne's uh, fractured facial bones? I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major worry. He's in good spirits. He's happy. Uh, maybe he will play with a mask in the... In, during the, the first games. Maybe we don't even need him for the first two games. So we've, we've already played without him. We have Yuri Tielemans who can play, play his position too, having had a great season at Leicester too. So we have definitely on his position, we have some options. So like for Martinez, he's more worried about Axel Witzels, who's uh, come back after ruptured the Chills tendon. He's been out for five months and Martinez considered him as is yeah, the player who brings balance to a team, uh, the one who protects that old defence uh, a little bit. So he's hoping to get him back uh, too. But yeah, anyway, uh, De Bruyne, he'll be fine, I think, uh, once the big games are coming up. Uh, he's very motivated because he was very disappointed to lose that uh, that Champions League final with City and he will uh, 
used that disappointment a bit as fuel to prove himself uh, again. He was even surprised that he won the PFA Player of the Year uh, on Sunday. He didn't. He, he, had, he really hadn't expected it after the season he's had. He missed some games. I only think he he, he played sixty percent of the games in the Premier League. But football players obviously forgot that. But yeah, he was happy with the trophy, and he comes in good spirits. So we're hopeful for the Burana to play his best uh, tournament ever. Excellent. And lastly, Christoph, how much pressure with this incredible collection of players and the opportunities that have already come and gone, how much pressure is this team and manager Roberto Martinez under going into this from the folks back in Belgium? Well, we're not putting the pressure on them as yet, but you really feel that this is the last chance for the generation. Everybody expects Roberto Martinez uh, to leave his job after the, the Euros. It was already, if, if the, the Euros hadn't been postponed postponed last year, I think he'd already had left um, because he sees fancy in club football again. So everybody expected now to go, whatever the result is uh, of, the, of, of the tournament. But uh, I don't think the, the Euro spirit is not yet there in Belgium. It's not that uh, whole streets are turning red or that... Uh, the the fans are are watching the friendly games. Uh, yeah, I think we'll put the pressure on them once they are in uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals. Then the pressure will be on, and then everybody will start dreaming and hoping they will win it. But we've had some injuries uh, in the over the last few weeks that everybody is a bit yeah in limbo. What's going to happen? We'll see what happens. And yeah, France are favourites, and yeah, if France fail, we might take that chance. Interesting. All right, Christoph, brilliant. Well, uh, good luck with the, the rest of the build-up and we'll, we'll catch up with you once things get underway. Yes, definitely. You can count on me. Christoph Tourer. Just one team left to talk about from Group B, Sasha. Yeah, uh, the motherland. Uh, as usual, going into a major tournament, I'm quite bearish on Russia's chances. Um, and... The recent two friendlies they had against Poland, Bond Reserve Team and Bulgaria, hasn't really encouraged me to change that view. I think, well, basically the problem is they're dependent on the big lad up top, lumping the balls to him. And the question is whether they can really uh, allow their creative midfielders, um, Golovin, Cherashev and Miranchuk, to do something. I mean, Golovin's looked all right in these two warm-up games. Uh, Miranchuk less so. Cherchesov, the manager, is trying to somehow liven it up. I mean, they play three centre-backs. Um, he's brought in for the for the game against Bulgaria. He pulled back Barinov, who is a midfielder from Lokomotiv Moscow, to kind of connect, to make kind of the central defending more proactive. Um, at the same time, they lost Kudryshov, the guy who plays on the left of that three. For He's still in the squad, but he'll miss at least two games. He's also getting um, uh, Zobnin, who is this uh, sort of holding midfielder from Spartak Moscow, to play slightly more advanced, uh, which is what he did against um, Bulgaria, getting up the pitch into the box. But it all feels a little bit too late for me. And, I mean, the thing is, this is a bit different uh, from 2018, where there was genuine anger about how bad Russia were. 
um, and given that they were about to, as many people thought, uh, completely cock up the, the, you know, the home World Cup. Of course, there isn't that at the moment. It's, 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 everything is a little bit um, kind of more staid. Maybe there is less hype. And even the manager spoke out in a recent interview, you know, when he was suggested to him, maybe there isn't the hate driving him on. He said, well, we can start now. Give us some more inspiration. So I think, I don't know, I don't know whether the Russians are sleepwalking to an early exit or whether he does have something up his sleeve. He did kind of in the World Cup. Maybe that's all we're waiting for here. But so far, I don't really see any evidence why Russia should finish higher than third. They're definitely looking weaker than Denmark. They will have to go to Copenhagen needing a result. I mean, if they get a draw, four points should be enough, but I'm not sure they will. Right. And of course, famously, before the World Cup got underway, you told us that they were about to have <laughs> the worst campaign of any World Cup team ever, and they got all the way to the quarterfinals. <laughs> so you know, they have a capacity to surprise, as does Artem Juba, who's uh, just had the best season of his career, 27 goals for club and country, but he was briefly dropped as captain last November. Why was that, Sasha? Well... Basically, a, a video of him bashing one out uh, got sent around the internet. It wasn't was meant for public consumption. I was wondering what delicate language Sasha was going to use then, but no, straight into it. Right. <laughs> Interesting. The, yeah, yeah. Thematically, um, I note that uh, 37-year-old Zhirkov is still uh, in the <laughs> Russia squad. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> I mean, Sasha mentions the the pressure that Sons Uber as uh, as the lone striker. But one thing we do know is that he's quite happy playing by himself. Um, so that could stand him in good stead. <laughs> but clean sheets could be more difficult. He said, falling back on that old standard. Anyway, you open up against Belgium, uh, Sasha. That's a big game. Get points on the board in that. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 KDB. I mean, no De Bruyne might help because De Bruyne destroyed Russia in, in one of the qualifying games. It's absolutely just, it just trampled all over them. Uh, but I still, I just, I, do, I don't expect... The um, thing is, like, I'm looking at the Belgian back line. I think you need a bit of pace to get behind that. Russia don't really play like that. Um, and I can't really see, see them getting anything out of it. You know, if anything, I look at the uh, Finland game as well, and Finland will be quite defensive. Russia struggled to break down Malta in, in, in March. I mean, they eventually won 3-1, but it was, it was painful. Um, so, yeah, it's just that I, I don't really see much that, that's encouraging at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how they get on. Okay, Russia, Denmark, Finland and Belgium. Once again, Michael, Tom, Sasha, who's not making it out of the group? Finland, uh, Russia, third. Yeah, I'd, I agree. I'd say Finland, I mean, on paper at least, Finland are the worst team in this group. Uh, and I think Russia will probably come a quite distant third behind uh, Belgium and Denmark. Michael? Yeah, I, I agree. The only thing is, obviously, Russia performed above expectations with home advantage. Got a bit of home advantage here. But yeah, uh, I think the, uh, the order for this group is one of the more predictable in the tournament. I see. Uh, very shortly, we'll have a quick nod to some more general points about the Euros. First of all, though, let's get some odds from Carl Monaghan from Paddy Pack. Everyone seems to know the score. They've seen it all before. They just know they're so sure. But Paddy Power are taking no chances on the fact that football may well be coming home as Gareth Southgate's talented bunch are the pre-tournament favourites at 9-2. to two. With the jack back inside set to be all the rage in the Barbers this summer, the three nines are odds-on to win Group D with all three of their group games at Wembley. In terms of a shrewd bet, how about the Czech Republic, though, to qualify from Group D at 10-11? to 11? After all, we've seen Thomas Suchek up close all year and he may well leave his mark on this group with his knack for scoring. 
Elsewhere, Mancini's Azuri look well primed to boss Group A. They play all three of their group games in the Stadio Olimpico and are unbeaten in 25 games. But the surprise pack of maybe the Crescent and Stars. This Turkey side gobbled up the Dutch with an eye-catching 4-2 win back in March and took four points off the world champions France in qualification. The same man, Chanel Guinness, who led into a third-place finish at the World Cup back in 2002, is back at the helm. Turkey will need to avoid defeat in Rome on Friday, but they are a bold 5-1 to one shot to win Group A. Remember, listeners, opening games always spring surprises. Group B sees the Belgians and their star-studded squad face Denmark, Finland and Russia. Providing De Bruyne's eye socket surgery is a success, the Belgians, with their linchpin fit, actually look a decent bit of value to top their group at 4-5. to five. If you fancy a top goal scorer bet, we have you covered. Stake £10 on a top goal scorer and get a £1 free bet for every shot on target they have across the tournament. Kane is 9-2 to two for the Golden Shoe. If England are going to get to the latter stages, his goals will be crucial. Lukaku and his 24 Serie A goals guided Inter to goal this year. Belgium will be looking for the same. He looks great value at 6-1. to one. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is a massive 12 to 1 shot and is the joint top scorer in the tournament's history alongside Michel Platini with nine goals. That won't last for long, with CR7 expected to lead the Portuguese line. And how about the 2016 top scorer at the Euros, Antoine Griezmann doing it again at a massive 20 to 1. He's back in form, having hit 26 goals for club and country this season. Just make sure to look away when he celebrates. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Listen, sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020 in 2021. All the articles, all the podcasts ad-free and Q&As with writers. It's all just £1 a month for your first six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. By the way, if you're a... A, a Finnish football fan looking for top content, then you might feel a little bit shortchanged by that, even for £1 a month. Anyway, next time up, we're going to be talking about Group F, rhymes with death, which is handy because France, Germany and champions Portugal are in it. We'll have Rafa and Jules on talking about that. Also, of course, Group C and E uh, with the likes of ooh, the Netherlands and Spain. We haven't talked about those groups today. So, Michael, Tom and, and Sasha, before you leave us, who do you really fancy out of, out of those groups? And, and particularly the Group F, who's going to make it out of that? Yeah, well, France already looked a pretty ominous uh, proposition as defending world champions uh, and runners-up at the last Euro. They've now added Karim Benzema to the mix uh, because clearly an attack that already contained Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann and Ousmane Dembele and Kingsley Coman was really in need of another world-class attacking player. Um Wales were unfortunately uh, the opposition for Benzema's comeback. Although he didn't score, uh, he was quite heavily involved in a pretty straightforward 3-0 victory for France. And and you saw even um, in that game, again, it was slightly ruined by the fact that Nico Williams was needlessly sent off for a, a handball after about 25 minutes. But you saw signs of the understanding uh that Benzema and Griezmann and Mbappe are going to try and develop. And that's why Benzema has been been brought in. It's not just for his goals. Uh, it, it's for the fact that he can, uh, you know, theoretically uh, take France to the next dimension uh, as, a, as an attacking force. And uh, yeah, on that early evidence, France look an even better team than they were uh, when they won the World Cup. So I'd probably have them as my favourites, I think. Crikey. Michael, who are you most looking forward to seeing, team or, or match from the, from the other side of, of these groups? Yeah, it's an obvious thing, but the, the group of death is fantastic. And I think 
France and Portugal are the two strongest sides. Um, it's probably not being particularly, you know, ambitious prediction considering they've won the last two tournaments. But I think they're both really, really solid. Good strength uh, across the entire team, which I'm not really sure anyone else in the tournament can say. England can't say that. Belgium can't say that. I think Italy have got a couple of weaknesses. But those two, I think, are just stacked with quality. So I think they'll both get out of the group and who knows, could meet each other in the final again as well. All right, well, Group F will be the focus with Rafa and Jules next time out, and we will be touching on the other teams as well. Sasha, you'll be joining us again for a bit of a preview on Andrei Shevchenko's Ukraine side as well. That'll be fun. Yeah, so this this is the the, the game that I'm most looking forward to um, in those other three groups is Netherlands-Ukraine. Kind of, th- I think Ukraine can really pull uh, those Dutch pants down in Amsterdam and uh, basically show up Holland for what they are. It's not, not particularly great. All right. More plain speaking from Sasha in part two then of our Euro previews. But that wraps it up for today. Many, many thanks to Sasha, to Tom and to Michael. And you, listener, will be back next time. Catch you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally to find out all the latest subscription offers. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.